All right, let's really take our declaration of understanding, which, as you know, is the way by which we activate our spirits so that we'll be charged up to receive the word of God today. Remember, everybody must belong to a cult. And those of us who are believers in Christ Jesus, we are in the cult of Christ. And for that reason, we have some chance that we take. Is that okay? All right, so let's take one of them now, which will clear our spirits so we can hear the word of God for today. Are we ready? All right, I want to let's go. And the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? amen. I said amen. amen. And the word of healing is coming forth again today in Jesus' name. Amen. The word of abundant provision is coming forth again in the name of Jesus. Amen. And as you pay attention to this, you will receive your portion of it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy again, like we wanted to read last time. Deuteronomy chapter 32, we'll start from there today. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 32. Let's start from verse, um, let's just start from verse 1. We're going to stop reading around verse um, 14. I will read from New Living Translation. He says, listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words that I say. Let my teaching fall on you like rain. Let my speech settle like dew. Let my words fall like rain on tender grass, like gentle showers on young plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. But they have acted corruptly toward him when they act so perversely. Are they really his children? They are a deceitful and twisted generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father who created you? Has he not made you and established you? He said, remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your father, and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High assigned lands to the nations, when he divided up the human race, he established the boundaries of the peoples according to the number in his heavenly court. Now, I'd like to read that um, in New American Standard. He said, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. He said in verse 9, for the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Jacob is his special possession. Again, I'd like to read that in a more conservative, um, a more traditional Bible. My new American standard says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. He found him, he says, in a desert land, in an empty howling wasteland. He said he surrounded them and watched over them. He gathered them as he would guard his own eyes. He said he gathered him as the pupil or the apple of his eye. He said, like 
an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. So he spreads his wings to take them up and carry them safely on his pinions. The Lord alone guided them. They followed no foreign god. He let them ride over the highlands and feast on the crops of the fields. He nourished them with honey from the rock and olive oil from the stony ground. He fed them yogurt from the herd and milk from the flock, together with the fat of lambs. He gave them choice ram from Bashan and goats, together with the choicest wheat. You drank the finest wine made of the juice of grapes. The Lord is good. I just read this out to show us God's, um, my, of course, my main scripture there is verse 12. If I might read that in New American Standard, it says the Lord, uh, no, sorry, not verse 12, sorry. Verse five, 9, it said, for the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the allotment of his inheritance. If I may back up to verse 8, when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of man, he set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. Let me just stop reading this one here for now. Uh, because I wanted to read this last time, but we ended up not getting there. So it would be good to start with that today. Uh, of course, what are we talking about? How faith comes into our hearts. And periodically, we have to look at this issue of faith again and again. And I, you know, I've not, I can't say this enough. The only way you walk with God is by faith. Let me say that again. The only way you walk with God is how? By faith. It's not by zeal. It's not by what people call love, actually. It is by faith. We need to emphasize that. When we talk about love, people often misinterpret love of God or love for God the way they would define it, the way they define love for their fellow man. But it is absolutely not the same thing. Love for God is not the same as love for man. When you love God, the way you show true love of God is actually faith. That's what it is. It's actually faith. So let's bear that in mind. And that's what impresses God about people, that people have confidence in him. I've said this many times, and I can't say it enough. When Abraham sacrificed Isaac, it was not the size of the gift that was impressive. Many times, people look at it as if the size of the gift was what impressed um, um, God, that Abraham was able to give him something so precious. So sometimes um, uh, we are encouraged to behave like Abraham in that we give God something that's very special to us. But when we say give God something that is special to you, you actually miss the point in what happened concerning the life of Abraham, all right, when he gave God Isaac. It was not the fact that that thing was special. That's the issue. So if I go now, let us assume I've saved money for 20 years, I finally gathered a few millions, and I'll give it. And you now say, oh, it shows I, I can do that for my wife. Maybe I'm getting married, and I give that to the woman that I love. Yes, that is good. But that's not what impresses God, not the size of the gift. What impressed God about Abraham was that he said to Abraham, in Isaac will your seed be. And then when he said, go and sacrifice that same Isaac. And Abraham looked that God was able to raise him from the dead. That is, he trusted God so much. I hope you're getting my point. That even though it looked like the promise of God was going to fail, he still obeyed God knowing that God is trustworthy. And that's what God is looking for. I hope you're getting my point. So many people, in the truth, they pay God off with their offerings. You know, that's what a lot of people do. Are you aware of that? Uh, why are you doing like you don't know what I'm talking about? Remove your mask. Let me see your face. Uh, this coronavirus is doing things. So. You are preaching to people. You don't know whether they agree with you or they disagree with you. 
Whether they are, they, you don't know how they are reacting. The Lord is good. Okay, now, see, you can wear it back now. A lot of people just want to pay God off. All right, sometimes you teach and teach to people and try to explain to them sometimes, let's say the spirit of the tither, that the New Testament tither is a generous giver. Some people, they don't want to take the risk, lest the devourer comes after them. So they want to believe half of what they are saying and believe half of what somebody else is saying. And I say to them, listen, everything has a spirit. The spirit behind the law of tithes that God gave to Israel, which he didn't give to anybody else before then, all right? Even though you may say Abraham did that, but let's not get into that now. The spirit behind the law in the New Testament segment is pure generosity. Paul said, walk in the spirit. So anytime you see a law, look for the spirit behind it. Anytime you see a law, look for the spirit behind it. And that's why you will not find them, whether Paul or James or John or Peter, these people knew the Lord. They knew these things. They talked about money. Paul spent two full chapters talking about money. If it was the way we teach it these days, do you think he would have omitted to mention it? But when he talked about money in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, all right, and even in Galatians chapter 6, if you combine those three, because in Galatians chapter 6, he's talked about money also. People often overlook that. <laughs> he did. Galatians chapter 6. I won't talk about it now. So he emphasized that the New Testament ties are, this is a summary of it, okay, is a generous giver. If you are a continual and generous giver, you are tithing all the time. It's not your calculator that makes you a tither. If you are a 10% calculator, which you disburse to a church, to a ministry, or to several people, do you follow my point? And then, but you are doing it because you want to rebuke the devourer. You are not a New Testament tither. You are still self-centered. You are still thinking of yourself. You are not a cheerful giver. The New Testament tither is a cheerful giver. That's why you see the whole New Testament. They didn't bother to talk about it. Because there's no difference. God, when he was giving the instructions, he knew what he was doing. Now, please follow what I'm going to say. Okay? See, many people, what they just they pay God off. I'll give you money, you protect me. But that's not what Abraham did. What Abraham did was to... And let me just say something quickly. Abraham did not learn it overnight. By the time God tested Abraham, please follow me, God had been training him for how many years? At least 60 years. Is that how do you know? Okay, let me get my calculation right. How old was Abraham when he was called? How old was he when Isaac was born? That was 25 years. Good. By the time he sacrificed Isaac, Isaac was in his 30s. It wasn't a 12-year-old boy. The one they draw for you in pictures is not the truth. Isaac was 30-something. So I just assumed, I just took an easy 135 to make my calculation easy. If my arithmetic is still correct, then 25 plus 35 is what? 60. 60 years of training. That university is longer. That's beyond the PhD. Four PhDs. Is, that was that's the doctorate of heavenly divinity. <laughs> and there's doctor of divinity. This is doctor of heavenly divinity. Postdoctoral qualification. Before God tested him. I hope you're getting my point. So let me just say something quickly to you. Don't be worried that whether your faith is big or small. Don't. Just make sure you are constantly being trained. Just make sure you are constantly in class. Make sure you are constantly learning. And that's what we are discussing. How does faith come? Not because I'm looking for faith directly. 
But because I'm looking for the knowledge of truth, I'm looking for the knowledge of the spiritual. I'm exercising myself in the true knowledge of God. And as that thing enters my heart, as the knowledge enters my heart, then faith is built automatically. And what we've been doing in this series is just to talk about the things that are spiritual. We're just taking those things, looking at what God did for us in Christ Jesus. Looking at what our lives, all right, what he planned it to be. Like we're seeing last time, that the most important thing that God made is a new creation in Christ Jesus. He said the Lord's portion is his people. Now let me quickly say this to you. This portion we read is also prophetic. He said, now let me say this. When God distributed mankind all over the earth, I need to say this, very important. He was looking for his own portion. He said he divided them, all right? The allotment had one thing in mind, the number of the sons of Israel. And please, when he was talking about Israel there, there are many people who keep on trying to drive my mind down to the descendants of Jacob who reside with the Palestinians and who are fighting over some land somewhere in the Middle East. They want to keep, you know, they keep pushing my eyes there that that was for, the, for Israel. And I keep on saying, if that's what you are talking about, I have no quarrel with you, but please tear your Bible off from Matthew to Revelation. Read from Genesis to Malachi and remain in the Dark Ages. Because we know you cannot interpret the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, literally the law and the prophets and the Psalms. You cannot interpret them except you have the New Testament. Except you have the revelations of Paul. Or let me start, except you have the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Except you have the revelations of Paul. Except you have the interpretation of Peter. Except you have the words of John. Except you know the things that Jesus said to John in the second visit when he came to see him in the book of Revelation. Except you know those things, you will be in the dark concerning what everything in the Old Testament, in the law and the prophets mean. It is impossible to understand Genesis except you've heard of Jesus. It is impossible to understand Exodus except you hear of Jesus Christ. It is impossible to understand Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the way down except you know of Jesus Christ. It is impossible to understand Isaiah. Isaiah is totally impossible to understand except you've encountered the New Testament. It's impossible. It's impossible. Even the prophets who prophesied them did not understand them. And people don't understand that. You think if you ask Isaiah, assume it before Jesus Christ came, let, let me, if I want to understand Isaiah now and I get to heaven, I won't ask Isaiah because he doesn't know. If I get to Isaiah, I say, Jeremiah, good morning, sir. So nice to meet you. We read that a voluminous notebook. My God. Oh boy, you did prophesy. You draw chairs, say, please. Um, somebody serve us that you want to trap him so he can't go anywhere. What did you mean? He did not know. He had no idea. Jeremiah said things, and he was confused as to the meaning of the things that he said. Know the truth? I've seen preachers prophesy before. They came back to undo their own prophecy, because by the time they sat down and heard themselves, they said, no, 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 that thing cannot mean what I said. And I remember the one I have in mind, I felt like I said, oh God, you were right. They wrongly interpreted their own prophecy. It's very possible. If a prophet gives a prophecy, if he doesn't tell me that God gave him the interpretation, I discard his interpretation. Because the fact that he's the one that prophesied us does not mean he knows more interpretation than me that's hearing it. And on this particular assembly, once a man finished, he came, he arrived with a vision, which he said was from God. And I believe him, he was a credible prophet. But then I finished analyzing the vision. As he was saying the vision, my wife, I don't think she was sitting with me that day. 
She was somewhere else. A number of people were there, and they were getting the interpretation as he was saying it. As soon as he began to interpret, everybody got confused. I say boldly, his interpretation was wrong. His interpretation was colored by certain emotional things. And many people have that problem. All right? What I'm going to say here is this, okay? Jeremiah doesn't understand the book of Jeremiah. <laughs> Funny. Isaiah did not know the meaning of comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Say kindly to Jerusalem that her warfare is ended, that she has received double of the Lord's hands for all her iniquities. When he was saying it, he did not understand it. And except Jesus had shown it to him when he got to heaven, he will still, still be as confused. But I believe the Lord had opened their eyes, you understand, to see those things now. But if we were to see him that time, he, listen to me, he, did, he doesn't understand it more than a man like Paul. Paul has more understanding of the prophecies of Isaiah than Isaiah himself and the sons of the prophets at that time. How do I know? Peter told us like that. That the people that prophesied, they sought to know. Let's read that one. I think it's good for us to read. Just like, people would not think that was around here. Just like to gist. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter 1, I'll read from verse 10. He said, as to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that will come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in those things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Oh, I forgot to mention the angels too. I hope you're getting my point. Even the angels, they wanted to look. They did not fully understand. They, they, in fact, they understand, understood little. So, if, and I'm, I know where I went to do that from, if you don't have the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't have the revelations given to Paul, all you have was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and Joshua, and you have all those people down all the way to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and all of that, and down to Malachi. And you don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, all right, the two Corinthian books, and Galatians, all of that, down to John, Jude, and Revelation. You'll be confused. You'll be confused. Let's use the word Israel as an example. One thing that confuses a lot of us believers when we see the prophecies give, and listen, I've seen preachers, not one, not twice, not two, many of them, sitting down. In fact, I know an American preacher, he keeps on trying to explain to us that the, the impression he gives us is that the most important thing God is doing on the earth is the nation of Israel. So they have an American coalition in support of Israel. And I can say that one to you, true. That thing is not of God. I'm not saying it's evil, though. Did you hear what I said? It's the same thing as Delta Nigeria, the South, uh, South, what do you call it? South, South Nigerian people in support of the people of Enugu. Is it a bad thing? If the people from Niger Delta, uh, that's it, Delta, Edo, Payelsa, Cross River, Rivers, let's not leave anybody out of Aqua Bomb, they gather together and say, listen, Pastor Bank is our in-law. And he lives in Enugu. Let's form a coalition in support 
of development in Enugu, will I be happy? No, no, there's no cash. Will I be happy? Is it not a good thing for able to gather to support some people? Of course, it's a good thing. But does it make you Christian? Is it a commandment from God? So when American Christians gather in support of the nation of Israel, it's the same thing. There's no difference. There is no difference. You say why? I'll tell you. Because there is no promise of God that's fulfilled outside Jesus Christ. There's none. If you are thinking of the promise of God, for example, he says what? The one we quote all the time. I will bless them who bless you. And I will curse them who curse you. Right? We claim, we claim that all the time. That promise was to whom? Quotes New Testament for me. Was to whom? Abraham and his seed. And his seed, not of many, but seed as of what? One. And that seed is whom? Christ. So when they say bless, the, when they, when they say bless Israel so that God can bless you. That promise was to whom? To Abraham and to what? His seed. And that seed is whom? Christ. And when Jesus came to Paul, what did he say to Paul? To Saul, of course, on the way to Damascus. When Saul said, who are you? What did he say? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That is, Jesus is the body of Christ. He didn't catch Jesus. It was James and Co. he was arresting. It was Peter and Co. he was running after. Yeah, Jesus said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That is, when you touch his body, you have touched the apple of his eyes. Sometimes, you know, once there's a, I've heard different preachers. I have one particular one in mind, a British man. He appeared before the British Parliament and showed them. And listen, many please, I don't mean to be critical, but we, we can't stay in ignorance forever. When I wrote a portion of my book some time ago, I was locked in. I didn't want to generate controversy on this tithing matter at that time. My friend said something to me which I never forgot. I, said, I, I told him, I said, my brother, I don't want quarrel. So I'm writing the book. That's this book, um, Grace to Prosper. So I intended to leave that segment out. I said, I don't want to talk about it. Let me just teach on the prosperity, the matter of money in the body of Christ. I'll leave the tithing matter out. And that says something to me. He said, Banky, what you are saying, is it the truth? If the answer is yes, it has to be told. And I realized that what he was saying was true. And of course, as the day I released the book, my persecution began. Just by the way, for those who are wondering, what does Pastor Banky say about tithing? It is simple. I say the New Testament tither is a generous and continual giver. A 10% calculator is not a New Testament tither. That is summary of it. That the spirit of it is generosity. The spirit of it is honoring God. You can't bribe God. You can't rebuke the devourer with giving a portion of your income. You must recognize that everything you own belongs to him. And as a believer, with the spirit of Christ in you, you must regularly receive from him how to spend your money. I don't mean you lie down in your bed and you hear any whispers. That's not what I mean. I mean as understanding comes to you and need is set before you, you combine the two, you will know what is right to do. I hope you're getting my point. Please read my book, How to Work for God. Read my book, Guided by the Spirit. No, let, let me recommend them in the order of importance for this subject. Read the book, How to Work for God. Then, so who will pay for this? Then, guided by the Spirit. So when I say the Holy Spirit will talk to you, I don't mean you always hear. Sometimes you do hear the whisper. Sometimes you hear it. Now, it may not be a whisper like that. It might be that um, um, 
let me give my friend's testimony, all right? He was in church, and there was a lady beside him, doesn't know her from Adam. Well, I've seen her before in church. And they were worshiping, they were worshiping. Then his wife was beside him on the other side. He tapped his wife. Say, I feel like something in me says I should give this woman 20,000 naira. So the wife looked at him and said, okay. So he went out to his car, brought the money, came back to church, tapped his sister, said, please, can I talk to you for a moment? And that one looked like, so, who, like, all right, no problem. Do you mind stepping outside? This was inside church. So she stepped outside with him, was looking at him curiously. He said, please, I just felt like giving you this. Give her 20,000 naira. She looked at it, held his hands, couldn't let the hands go, started crying. I don't need to tell you she was praying. <laughs> Do I need to tell you God met a special need for her at that particular moment? He was just in church. I hope you are getting my point. There are stories sometimes. You know this is our live streaming thing, Apostle. You know it's spoiling things. We can't tell some gist. Okay, let me just let me color it a bit. One day, I heard of some people who are doing some important work, ministry work. You know what I'm talking about. I just want to color it a bit. Someone just said the problem is that they don't have resources. Friends were telling me, and that where they are even using for church right now is not very good. Where they not, you know, where they nailed roofing sheets together. Ah, did, did you go there together the first time? I know my wife went with me. Okay, you went on your own. I, okay, I know I went at that time, and that day my wife was with me. I thought the person was telling me, "What does it take to console the bin? So I called some. I said, "Don't worry, let me let's find land." So I called some of my guys. I said, "Bring money." And instead of bringing money one by one, I would get the structure for them. They were pretty surprised. There was no, nobody asked me anything. I just said, I mean, I've harassed some of you. Some of you know about it. So have you heard of this project? Yes. Where's your portion? There was nothing that the Lord would bless you. That's his problem. <laughs> if he wants to bless you, it doesn't concern me really. You bless me right now. That's just my home. <laughs> you, you bless me right now. That's what interesting, is interesting me. I'll be honest with you. There was not one time the Holy Spirit woke me up. Banky. I wanted to do something for me. Nothing. We're having a meeting that had nothing to do with that. When I just heard it, I said, where are they? They told me. And I said, I, I, please go and check them out. He did. I was calling people one by one. How much are you giving me? You know, that one is not enough. Add money to it. No, I'm serious. Okay, I was saying 200,000. How can you say 200,000? Are you all right? Come on, something. I'm telling you, people were sending me money. I got that the money and told them, brother, go and start digging. Nobody, no, Holy Spirit didn't wake me up and say, my son, I got a special assignment. No. When I say Holy Spirit talking to you, that's what I mean. The word of God builds up inside you. First, then it sets before you needs. Let's put it down that way, open doors. Open doors not always <laughs> breakthrough for you. Open doors might be the door of opportunity for you to be a blessing. After all, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So why do we think open door is the one which we receive? When he gives us the point to give also, it's also an open door. We well, have let the main thing we're saying. <laughs> Back to what I'm trying to say. So talking about if it is truth, it has to be told. I'm just adding something to that. So sometimes, some of the things I'm saying, I don't want to be critical. But I just perceive in me that one of the assignments I have from God is to set some things right. Like Paul would send Timothy to go and set some things right. Yes. I end up being controversial. 
you cannot set things right and not be controversial. It's not possible. Because the things that you are setting right, they were wrong. If they were right, why would anybody set them right? Like Americans will say, if you ain't broke, don't fix it. When American says broke, it means spoilt. The correct English is what? Bad or spoilt. They tell you broke. So I used to think the thing snapped in two. American just means, they just mean it's not working. Are you getting my point? So that's why you end up being controversial. Not as if you intend to be. And then in the interest of peace, many times we leave things unsaid. I, I used to want to follow that trend also, you know, personally. Like, why generate controversy? But the problem I have is that the next generation will believe a lie. And the problem with that is that it gets worse. It doesn't stay on one spot. It's like you are flying to Lagos. You miss your, what do you call that line they draw? Your, no pilots in the house. Anyway, you, you're at work. <laughs> you miss anyway your, your line is off the thing by just 0 0.01 degree. By the time you fly over in nature, it won't be so significant. By the time you are getting to Ore, <laughs> you are no longer where, you, it's small. But the further you go, the more off course you are. So that's why sometimes some things may not appear like serious errors, but we'll pick them up to correct them. It's because if you leave them like that, they get worse from generation to generation. And somebody has to correct them. Please, follow me. So when I bring up this matter, it's because I feel people should get it right. I know what I was saying. We're talking about this issue of Israel and the church. Okay? Without get, dragging into much of the argument, I'll just go into the conclusions. It is not true, right? Like, you know, I was telling you that at the beginning. That's where I began from. Some people gather and say it is the duty of Christians to support the, the nation of the physical nation of Israel now, and that God will bless you for it. That thing is so far from the truth. I don't. I can't find one scripture to support it, because the scripture they quote is stated clearly in the Bible. The promise is to Abraham and his seed. And Paul explained it is not seeds as of many, but seed as of one, and that seed is whom Christ. So Christians should support. Christ, if I'm using that expression, does God love the Jews? Most certainly. 100% he does. Does he love the Arabs? Most certainly. Jesus died for them too. So I can't see the scripture beside Christians coalescing to support somebody. What should Christians do? Coalesce to support the truth. They should have a coalition in support of the preaching of the gospel. They should have a coalition in support of peace. They should have. It's very important. Because that is actually the assignment that God gave to us. Please, I'm trying to bring out an issue. So when you read the law and the prophets, the promises he gave, you know, the Bible says that they were custodians. To them was committed what? The oracles of God. So, when you hear promises made, and it says to Israel, to Zion, now listen to me what I want to say. There is a name they call what I'm about to say, and they call it heresy. Yes. So let me look your head. It's called replacement theology. The interesting part is that before I ever heard of replacement theology, I had read my New Testament, and I found out what God says. But when I say it, and I say it is called replacement theology, that they said, 
that, that some of people preach that the church has replaced Israel. No, the church never replaced Israel. Israel was prophetic of the church. How can the real replace the type? I don't know whether you are getting my point. You are insulting the real. I'm saying Israel was used as a foretaste of the church. The church is what Paul called what? The Israel of God. That's why I said, listen, those who say those things, if they don't want to read their New Testament, let them leave it. But we have a choice. Either we accept the prophecies that Paul, James, and Co. gave to us, or we reject them. But if we accept it, those prophecies, if we accept them, then we must understand that what they said to us is that we are the circumcision. The true circumcision, Paul said. How do you know the true circumcision? He said, those who worship in the spirit and have no confidence in natural descent. That if to, for you to be a true circumcision, it is irrelevant whether Jacob is your father or not. Because once I was here, I heard one man teaching. Beautiful teacher. Good man. He said, somebody asked whether I'm a Jew. I said, I'm not. I wish I were. I wanted to cry. I wish he was near me. I said, sir, don't insult Jesus with that statement. Don't insult Jesus with that statement. Imagine this, the, the son. Now, I'm not trying to say anybody's superior to anybody. I just want to say. Imagine the son of Prince Philip, who just died, born by Queen Elizabeth. They say, oh, you look like a Zulu. You look like a prince, like a, what they call this from, uh, uh, Mongosuto, Mongosuto Betelezi. You know those guys? You know, he's a prince amongst the Zulus. She looked like a Zulu prince. Now, listen to that. You ask the, the, a son of Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth. And he said, you look like a Zulu prince. Are you a Zulu? He said, no, I wish I were. You know, Queen Elizabeth will remove him from lying to the, no, on the spot. How will you wish? I mean, I'm your mother, Queen of England. In case you don't know, just a few years ago, that was the most powerful monarch on the earth. Ruled much of Africa. In addition to her homeland, she was the head of an empire. You know they call it an empire? When you are a nation and other nations are under you, you are an empire. Yeah, that's not of empire. My mother used to tell me that when they were young, they used to have Empire Day. That Nigeria would participate in the Empire Day. Rule all over the whole of India. Much of China. North America. Canada. I hope you're getting my point. That's why till today everything in Canada is called Royal This. Their police force is not called Canadian Police Force. They are called Royal Mounted Police. Till today. They still recognize the Queen of England. That the English throne has been supreme over them. As far down as Australia, all those countries were under England. Now, a son of the monarch of that great Britain now says, somebody now says that you look like a Zulu prince. He said, no, I'm not really a Zulu prince, but I wish I were. Is it the lack of Trouser that you wish you were. <laughs> what are you wishing you were among my brethren, the Zulu? Okay, I'm not insulting Zulus. Let's say, okay, you look like an Oni, Oni son, Oni of Ifabi. Let, let them not hear us print. Let's say you're insulting us Zulus. No, okay, let's insult Niger. Okay, you look like the son of the Oba Obini. Are we happy? That is how it is when you ask a Christian, are you a Jew? And he says, no, I wish I were. Ha. You are in Christ. You wish you were a Jew. Do you smoke? Is fella your 
roommate? Did he leave something? Did you cook with something you did not know and you ate it? No, it, it, really, we should ask. There are certain statements you don't make if you know some things. There are certain statements you do not make if you know some things. This is replacement theology. It cannot be. I like the one of our brothers said it. How can it be? The aim from the beginning. Okay, good. I have a good way to illustrate that. Perfect. Was Jesus a replacement for Adam? But Jesus was called the last Adam. The second man. Why was, why was he not called the first man? Why was Adam called the first man? See, I like the way you shook your head with anger. Say, Pastor Bang, give a joke. Stop that. Thing. How can you be comparing Jesus with Adam? Uh, Adam with your fruit. <laughs> you know, you're already angry. You, you know, inside your soul, you're like, please stop that. thing. Stop that. Thing. Stop that. <laughs> Nobody says, and is comfortable saying it, that Jesus is a replacement for Adam. Because that gives you the impression that because God was dissatisfied with Jesus Christ, he brought Adam. Uh, sorry, because he, he was dissatisfied with Adam, he brought Jesus. So Jesus is an incidental occurrence. It was never planned. That is exactly the meaning of the church replaced Israel. It gives you the impression that because Israel failed, God now brought in the church. Now let me tell you the truth. The church from the beginning was the aim. From the beginning, the church was the plan. From the beginning, the church was the target. From the beginning, the church was the arrangement. From the beginning, Christ, let me go the word church for a moment. Christ was the plan. Like I said last time, Adam was the first step in the bringing forth of Christ. Do you get my point? Through Adam, God introduced people to the earth. And then he says, Jesus said, except you are what? Born again. So first you are born as a descendant of Adam, the first man. And then the second man, each person takes on that birth voluntarily. Each person goes through the baptism with his or her eyes open, deciding by himself, by herself, that I want to lay down the first life to take up the new life. I hope you're getting my point. That was always the plan. I hope you're getting me. Adam was not perfect. Adam was not the fullness of what God was doing. Adam's fall was not a collapse of the system. Adam's fall was not a wrecking of divine plan. Adam's fall did not create suddenly the need for a savior. No, it did not. That was why there was a tree of life there. If Adam had life the way he was supposed to have, what was that tree doing there? That's supposed to be for us a sign. And there are two trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil says, I want to be me. I want to be my own God. I want to decide my destiny. That's basically what it says. But the second tree is a sign of I laid down my life by myself. Nobody compelled me to do it. I hope you're getting my point. What Jesus showed us as a sign in his own life also. This voluntary nature. Listen, serving God, we're discussing here yesterday, done the Bible study. That is the thing about it. God, the service is not sweet unless it is voluntary. That's why God will call Isaiah. Even though he made him to be a prophet, he was still saying in his hearing, who shall I send? Who will go for us? Did he not make him as a prophet? He did. 
But this season is hearing, who shall I send? As I would now say, here am I, send me. Because that service, to do it voluntarily, is what makes it sweet for, to God. So the second birth is something you do deliberately. You know the problem we have? Many people don't understand the meaning of that second birth. They don't understand. That second birth is called a new man. Let's take Nigeria as an example now. The moment you are born again, you know in our country, Nigeria, we have what they call three major ethnic groups. All right? And we have many, I don't want to use the word minor, other ones. How many do we have in Nigeria? I think about 200. In fact, let me put it like this. We have at least 200 significant ones. There are some that there are not more than two villages. We are not counting those ones. The ones that can rise up and say we have our own language. We have Bible in our own language. There are at least 200. The type that the uh, Bible Society of Nigeria is looking for to translate, the, that is, it will help you write your language and it will translate the Bible into that language. Now, so let's take one of the so-called major ones. Assuming I'm a house man. The moment I give my life to Christ, I am no longer a house man. House dies in that baptism water. What rises up now is a new man in Christ. What I, I hope you have you heard what I said. Assuming I'm an able man, I was an able man. When I give my life to Christ, the evil nature dies inside there. What comes out is what? New man in Christ. Assuming I'm a Jibawa man, ethic, whatever it is, Yoruba man, whatever it is, when you push, put me down in death, the baptism is the death of the old man. The new man is just one tribe. I hope you're getting my point. Under the old man, the first man, Adam, this is what you find. You can read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You see, basically, there are three divisions. Before the new man, don't open your Bibles, all right? It's verse 32. Before the new man, there were two divisions, Jews and what? Gentiles. Among the Jews, you find things like the Levites. The, the people had the two tribe, major divisions, um, Levites and the rest of the people. And how do I know that? When they were sharing land, they didn't share for the Levites. So they were a special group. They were called priests. Do you understand my point? They were the priests of God. Now, amongst the Gentiles, they had all kinds of divisions. Now, Israel now had many other divisions. Amongst the other ones, there were about essentially 12 other tribes. Okay? You can count them as 13, depending on where you want to count. Because you remember that um, Joseph was given two. Okay? So this is, can be quite tricky. Le- Levi was taken away, so Joseph now had two portions. So, if you, they, so there are 12 tribes again. Now, the division is funny, but just count like 13 if you see that Levi was, um, um, Joseph was broken into two. Now, but amongst the Gentiles, they had all kinds, my father. All, all types. There were some Gentiles that were descendants of Shem, but they were not descendants of Jacob, but they were Shemites also. The descendants of Japheth were there. The descendants of um, Ham, they were there. All kinds of divisions. But it's not, when the new man now came, when Christ came, he created a different tribe, a different race, let me put that expression. So, on the surface, you don't see any major, you don't see them looking the same. They retain the flesh of the old man. I hope you're getting my point. So if a man was a black man, he remained black even though he gave his life to Christ. If he was white, he remained white even though he gave his life to Christ. I hope you're following my point. All right? 
However, inside them, he said the, the former ones were born of flesh. Now, these ones are born of what? Of spirit. So inside them, they are of one race. Every division is broken down. The divisions outside, they remain. Every division is broken down inside Christ. Now, I emphasize that issue of priests and cove to let you understand something. I I, I want to prove that the division was broken. Because all of us now, we are called a kingdom of kings and what? Priests. Israel had a special group called priests. To let you know that they were different from the rest. But when you come to the new man, everybody is a priest. Everybody is a descendant of the king. Therefore, is in line for the throne. If I use that expression. There was nothing like we are from the tribe of Judah and the descendants of Jesse. Nothing like that exists anymore. We are all kings and what? Priests. Every single one. If you go to a place like India, amongst the Gentiles, they have an interesting division they call the caste system. They have five castes. They have the Brahmin priests on top. Another set, no, in the middle. Then at the bottom, they had what they called, they used to call them the untouchables. But that word was modernized because of political correctness. They're not called the Dalits. And you are not allowed to cross from one caste to another. For example, you, you can't ask. It was, it's a sin for you to aspire not to be a Dalit. And as a Dalit, you are what Noah, Noah prophetically said, a servant of servants you will be. The Dalits were sweepers. They were fetchers of water. Hewers of wood. They were the servants of servants. So you were not allowed that if you aspire to stop being a Dalit and you want to be something else, you know what will happen to you? Next life you will reincarnate as a cockroach. You're laughing. But for those who believe it's not a joke, you are going to reincarnate as one low animal. So if you want your state in life to change, you please the gods, the millions of gods they have in your lifetime, hoping that at your reincarnation, they will change something for you. Maybe you'll now come back as a Brahmin priest. Are you, are you beginning my point? Now, it sounds so far-fetched. But you know, down in our villages here, we also have that caste system. And you know, even Christians sometimes are afraid to cross the divide. Usually when it comes to the time of what? Marriage. Because the white man came with the influence of Christ. He destroyed our caste system. He made the the slaves go to school. So we couldn't just hold them down as a society. But there are places we still feel superior. And I want to say something to you. Be very careful. What I'm about to say is dangerous. Christianity, I tell you, is not a joke. Christianity is not a joke. If you continue to divide the body of Christ, if you continue to recognize people after the flesh, you are sinning constantly against God. You are likely to die early. Not a joke. He said, for this cause, some of us seek amongst you, and some die. Why? They did not rightfully discern the body. Sometimes I look at Christians and say, you are playing with fire. Somebody wants to marry, say, but you are not from the same place. Jesus will slap you. Two Christians are not from the same place. Just because one is from Adamawa, the other one is from, um, from uh, Bayelsa. You say they are not from the same place. They were not from the same place. But if any man is in Christ, it's a new creature. All tribes passed away. Everything became what? New. And listen to what I want to say again. Anyone 
Christian or not, especially Christian, who refuses to recognize that has placed himself under the anger of God. Anyone who refuses to recognize that. Let me tell you something about faith. Like I was saying, you know, I was just listening to what I said last time. Faith is not how you feel. The same I mean today is not about the confidence I have concerning the outcome. Faith is that I continually obey the instructions of God. I hope you're getting my point. That is what faith. Last time we explained that faith and faithfulness, they're the same thing. Many times we think faith is the confident feeling that I have. No, faith is not the confident feeling that I have. What I'm saying so is this. You must understand this. It really happened to Peter and Co. If I say this, it surprise you. Jesus had a hard time, hard, hard time, finding somebody to preach the truth for him. Nobody could. He gave it to Peter. Peter reached somewhere, he stopped. James, they're from the same family. The second James. All right? The same thing they couldn't handle. It was hard. He had to get Paul. Paul did not know Jesus physically. I hope you get my point. Maybe that was why he made him a persecutor of the church, that you'll be so glad to be alive that you'll do anything. Maybe. Because by the time Paul was chosen, listen, first God made him notorious. You know what called notorious? He was notorious. Everybody knew him. That wicked, now the Christians called him wicked. The Jews called him zealous. So everybody knew him. So when he turned and became a believer, he became extremely hated. His notoriety became a problem. Till today, in fact, one of our brothers told me that he met a Jew in America and they were discussing Christianity, different things. And he mentioned the name Paul, that till today, Jews hate Paul, maybe more than Christ. Because he was the one that went, I mean, Christ, all Jesus did was to die on the cross. Did you do any other thing? I'm not saying a small thing, but that's what he did. Paul was the one that took the news and took it everywhere and began to break down the foundations that they built their society upon. So they see hate him over 2,000 years afterwards. What is the reason? Because now, I'm talking about Paul now, what, what God did with him. He was so notorious that by the time he became a Christian, he was hated. So to preach, I don't know whether I get my point. To preach certain truths was easy for him. Because one truth that Paul preached, which nobody could preach before him, was to boldly come out and say, there is no longer any difference between Jews and Gentiles. Peter and Co. could preach salvation in Jesus. They couldn't say that one. I hope you're getting my point. They could preach salvation in Christ. They could. They could turn to the Jews and say to them, you need to be saved, not through your works. It was easy for them to preach the righteousness that is by faith. But to now say, that righteousness that is by faith applies equally to Jews and Gentiles was a problem. How do I know? Because you see the time they went to the house, he went to the house of Cornelius. Now, you see, things that God recorded for us, look at them carefully. Three times, he had a vision. A great sheet came down from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals inside. And the Lord said, arise, kill and eat. And he said, not so, Lord. 
Arise, kill, and eat. Not so, Lord. God had to say to him three times, that which I have cleansed, you can't call unclean. Now, I want you to understand something. That was how difficult it was for him in real life to accept that principle also. It wasn't just in vision. God said that unto him. Then at that moment, the people sent by Cornelius arrived. When he got to the house of Cornelius, God said, this boy would never make an altar call. He would not say, believe. He just told the story, heard of Jesus Christ, how we just, I can assure you, reluctantly. Then while he was saying it, one man got up, began to praise God in other tongues. One was speaking Swahili. One spoke Igbo. Another one spoke Hausa. They were speaking all kinds of Nigerian languages. <laughs> yeah, they must have used one Nigerian language because God knew I was going to say that today. <laughs> they spoke English. There was no English that time. Don't, don't forget, in their place. They were speaking all kinds of things. Not only were they speaking other tongues, they were praising God. Ah! And Peter looked and said, this is exactly the same that happened to us on the day of Pentecost. He now said, ah, can anyone stop them from being baptized? They were going to stop them from being baptized. God knew they wouldn't baptize these people, so he went ahead of them. Nobody, nobody before that time received the Holy Spirit before being baptized. He said, these boys will never baptize these people. Never, never. How do I know? Hey, when he got back home, these are the, people, the brethren in Jerusalem were waiting with their hands on their waist. That's how they were gyrating. Brother Peter, where are you coming from? That is, at that particular moment, they still felt superior to the other races. And these people had been saved for a while. Do you know? Go and read the book of Galatians. Paul, in trying to prove, you know, some people say Peter was the first pope and all of that. And it is said, whether it's true or false, know what I'm talking about. It's said with reverence. Are you, are you getting my point? They call him Peter the Rock. So much respect for Peter. Peter the Rock. Paul said, Who, who's Rock? Now, what I'm going is that one day, they were sitting down. Peter had managed to believe that doctrine. So they sat and they were all eating. All of them Christians. I don't want to say Jews and Gentiles. Just Christians. Some of them from the land of the Greeks. Some from the land of the Jews. Everybody was there feasting. Then some people that James sent now arrived. As soon as they arrived, Peter was full. He didn't want to eat again. Then he, he gradually went to look for the shoe he kept on the side where one Jewish brother was sitting. He wore the shoe there and sat down there. Before they, knew what happened, they, were, they were separating bit by bit. Paul was looking at him and he saw what hypocrisy. Who would have believed that Peter could be a hypocrite? Paul saw hypocrisy. And openly he got up and said, whether they call you Pope or not, this is the truth. Let's say, no. Whether you are the rock or the stone, I don't care. <laughs> Today, let's settle this matter. Peter, this is hypocrisy. He rebuked him openly. What I'm trying to get you to understand is that years after Jesus was gone, Peter could not even champion the truth. I'm not talking about leaving it. Are you getting my point? He was still falling for it. Something that he should be out there championing. Paul had to get up and say, Peter, what is wrong with you? He wasn't even telling him to preach it. He said, boy, you're already living it. Before this man came, you recognized that we are all brethren. Then because people came now from Jerusalem, suddenly you lost your appetite when it comes to eating with people that you call Gentiles. Listen to me. That is an accursed behavior. 
He had to repent. Because the plan of God, that's what I'm going to make. So when today I hear Christians say some things, they amaze me. They say God made promises to Jews. I said, yes, he did. For them to keep. The promises were for who? Christ. And if you are a Jew, you will find the fulfillment of any promise you are looking for. Where? In Christ. And when you get in there, you will find that there is no difference between Jews and what? Gentiles. That's Christianity. That's why I said to you earlier. There's no sense behind a coalition supporting Jews. I don't have a problem with supporting them, but don't think it's the work of God. We can have a coalition supporting the people of Aquaiba. If you want to do the work of God as a doctrine, because everybody has his own specific assignment. I hope you're getting my point. For example, I can, I can be an apostle to Jigawa. So I will, I will come to Enugu and gather Christians in support of Jigawa people. But it's not the word of God to the Christians in Ghana. It's not the word of God to the Christians in Australia. It's only the word of God to those who believe in the mission that God has given me. So I will not stand on TV and proudly hold the hand. No one there saw one brother, I won't mention him, he stood with a Jewish rabbi who preaches every day that Jesus is not the son of God. Who deep inside his heart believes that Paul was a troublemaker. And they joined hand, I say, they say, we are working together. I said, with who? If only that into balance, if I put an imam on this side, then the equation will balance. Then I will be impressed. But if you think I should be impressed with that what you have done, you know nothing. You don't know anything. I felt like saying, do you think Paul would have done that? Peter would have done it too. You know, bro, Peter, he did strange things. So let's leave Peter out of this calculation. Paul, do you think he would have done that? Lie, lie. He wouldn't have done that. Do you know why? Because of the understanding he had. Because, you know, that's something about the history of Paul. I just suspect that God said, let's wreck this guy properly first so we can use him to preach this doctrine. I know what he said. Nobody understood it until I came Paul to preach it. It cost him a lot of problems. That's possibly, possibly, I'm not saying it is. Possibly one of the things that Peter said was hard to understand. It was hard. Now you get my point. All your life you have been raised. That you are in the, in the caste system. You are in class one. And that the Dalits are the untouchables, the servants of servants. Then one day, they said, give your daughter in marriage. Then the one brother showed up with the skin of a Dalit. I don't know whether you are getting my point. I'm talking about India, in the background of Hinduism. Some things are hard to understand. I suspect it's one of the things that Peter wrote concerning the writings of Paul. Because Paul made it clear that in Christ Jesus, the wall of partitioning that separated Jews from Gentiles has been broken down. That there is now one body. So I say to my believer brethren, my brethren who see preach a salvation that does not recognize this unity of Christ, to please repent because it displeases God. Many people act in love. You know they call act in love? Let me say by act in love. And I say that with a slant, you know, a, a funny slant to it. They are Jews, they are superior. But they are loving people so they can relate with anybody. I don't know whether you are getting my point. Okay, let me give you an example. There are priests who say something those days. That when he was a missionary in Kenya, that Kenya had a lot of missionary, white missionaries. And if any black person came 
Any time looking for water, they will give you water. But through the window. I don't know whether you got that. The locals couldn't enter their homes. Yet they left their countries. Flew thousands of kilometers. To come and stay in African, on the African continent for years. Yet the locals could not enter their homes. And they were preaching the gospel. No wonder nobody believed them. No wonder. No, no, really. No wonder they will say they labored for 15 years. Nobody believed. If, why will you believe? Of course, we'll work for you. You bring money. Don't you bring money? We'll work for you. We'll be servants in your house. We'll watch you every day. We'll see your body language. You are nice to us if we are sick. But you will never put us on your bed. I hope you are getting my point. You never saw us as equals. You saw yourself as superior. But such a loving superior who will come down. But Jesus didn't do it like that. For Jesus to save, he wore the same flesh. Oh, yes, he did. He said, where is the flesh you are wearing? Give it to me. He wore his portion. He said, no, don't take me to a king's palace. Go and give birth to me in the lowest of places. So they gave birth to him in a manger. I've not heard of any other person that was born in a manger. You know what he was saying? He dared anybody to go lower. Oh, yes. They gave birth to him in a manger. There was nowhere else. They, he deliberately closed everywhere. He said, I have to be a partaker of flesh and blood. I have to feel their infirmities. You could have been born the normal son of David on a throne. You could have been Solomon's son inheriting a throne in Israel. Do you get my point? No, he didn't choose it like that. Yes, he was a son of David, but he was born in a manger. He was born in a manger, even though he was the son of David. And shall I prove to you the parents were poor? What did they bring for his, his uh, what offering did they bring? So that was the offering of poor people. Rich people brought ram. <laughs> he went down, so okay, where, where, what, what do you, okay, is this offering, let's suffer together. He was a refugee for a time. Bandits were after him. He ran. He went through everything that we will go through so that he could be an effective high priest. Most of those were not effective high priests. They were professional missionaries. I like one testimony the prince gave. As a soldier in Sudan that time, he said he had this local guy who, they, they got to know each other, local Sudanese Muslim. By the way, before he was done, he had baptized that guy and he had become a believer. And he was a baby Christian himself. Disciple, like he said, in the desert. Okay? Now, this one I make it. Why did he penetrate into that guy's heart? He wasn't trying to preach to the fellow. He was just living his life. What did he do? Simple things like, he found out the guy was sick. I had a wound in his foot that had not gone away in a long time. So he said, whether I could pray for it, whether I could pray for it, he prayed for it. And the thing disappeared. In fact, he said to himself that I was shocked when he came back and told him that his foot was healed. He was shocked. He didn't expect, you know, just the Bible says you lay hands on the sick. So he lay hands on that fellow. So, now this is what I'm going. One day they went out. Um, it was nice to the guy. The guy used to work with him. You know, there was a local that worked with him. It was nice to the guy. So one day the guy said, listen, let me take you. Um, I will show you how to ride a camel. So he decided to go for a picnic where he would teach him how to ride a camel. Make a long story short, he brought food. The said he would bring food. So they got their time to eat. There was no water. 
he forgot to bring water. So the man said, listen, you're a white man. You can't drink the water. There was a stream there. I'll drink, I'll drink from this stream. The water wasn't very clean. He said, but you're a white man, you can't drink. The prince said, why not? So he bowed down. He said, remember that the Bible says that I would drink deadly things. They would not hurt me. So he drank from the water. And the guy was looking at him like, this is a strange white man. That is, the fellow looked at this strange white man. But the truth is that he was looking at a Christian. He was not seeing a white man. He didn't know. Because the only reason he prayed for him was because he was a Christian. The only reason he prayed for him was because he drank that water was because he had believed and he believed the word of God. So that brought him down to that man's level. Before he left, he had baptized that fellow in water, a Muslim. I say this to you boldly. I've said it before. When I see the way our brethren, I see them on TV, God will forgive me in case I'm sinning. Once they start their broadcast on this Jewish problem, I switch off the channel. You know what I do? I said the Jews will never believe like this. And the Muslims will never believe. The way you are preaching this gospel, they will never believe. Raise money from now till tomorrow, they are not going to believe you. My problem is not even about the Jews, it's about the Arabs. <laughs> For them to believe, it will be hard. That is the preaching that are my, my American brethren, even some British brethren, broadcast over that region, is guaranteed to harden the hearts of all the nations around them. Because you can see what's going on on the ground. They are fighting for a land. Now, please, don't take sides. Whether Jews or Gentiles, don't take any sides. All right? I want you to just see, just imagine yourself as an individual in that region. Just imagine yourself. Then you turn the TV. Every day, somebody is telling you you are inferior. The man opposite is superior. And that is why he has the right to kill you, drive you out of the land. Because God is on his side and God is not on your side. Will you ever believe that God? I think we Africans need to start African Christians. Now, we're not Africans, we are Christians, amen? But we have a revelation that's different. We need to start broadcasting the gospel in that area and stop telling their own lies, because they are lies. Let's start preaching the gospel of Jesus. Let us say to the Palestinian and to the, to the, to the Jew, there is no difference between the two of you in Christ Jesus. And if the Lord has given any one of you land, you only find it in Christ. Did you hear what I said? It, you, know, you know, my brethren are so confused that they are gathering money to build the physical temple. Are you aware of that? Because they believe that Jesus will not return until there's a fence temple built on the temple mount in Jerusalem. And I'm looking at them like this. Which temple is the Lord building? No, I'm asking you. I'm not trying to criticize. I'm asking. Please, ask, answer me. Which temple is he building? The body of Christ is the temple he's building. Yet my brethren are looking for money to buy cement from Dangote. Iron rod from the Indians. And roofing sheets from what? Who are the people that make roofing sheets? Is it the Australian people? And they want to build. <laughs> one man saw one day said, oh, they've discovered the final ingredients in making the anointing oil according to the prescription of Moses. <laughs> that means Jesus is about to come. That now that the oil is now complete, the ingredients that Moses said they should use is now complete. He cannot be anointed with oil. I said, Jesus. Holy Spirit is no longer the oil. People are reading this Bible from Genesis to Malachi and they are stopping there. And they are not allowing the world to see the beauty of what God created in Christ Jesus. Listen to me, people of God. As far as God is concerned, there is no difference between what? Jews and Gentiles. 
all of God's promises are fulfilled only in Christ. All of God's promises are fulfilled only in Christ. I was saying something at the beginning. I know where I began all of this from. And I've taken some time, and we had a bit of interruptions. I've taken some time, all right, to solve that, um, 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 to explain some of these things. Where I began from was that Deuteronomy chapter 32, in which I said that when God divided the nations of the earth, he divided them according to what? The number of what? The sons of Israel. And I was trying to prove, and that's why we went into all of this, to you that he wasn't talking about the sons of Jacob. He wasn't talking about the descendants of, you know, um, Dan, Issachar, and Zebulon, and people like that. He wasn't talking about them. He wasn't talking about the descendants of Judah, physical Judah. He was talking about the Israel of God. When Paul was speaking, he said, peace be upon who? The Israel of God. He said, we are the true circumcision who worship God in the spirit and have no confidence in natural things. Who's your father? What is circumcision? That's not our confidence. I'm done to emphasize to us, like we're saying last time, the lost portion is what? His people. Israel is the allotment of his inheritance. That is, what is God looking for? There's a special possession he has, listen to this, amongst every race on the earth. That's the point I'm trying to make. Amongst every race on this earth, he has a special people. And you know the truth? They are special to him. He will cross the mountains to find them. They are special to him. Let us assume, for example, you had a bag full of, let's say, diamonds, precious stones, beautiful blue diamonds, well caught, about 300 pieces. And somebody just took it from you, and as it was running away, it was falling from the bag. Now, follow me, what I'm going to say. Now, each piece is worth literally, maybe each of those stones worth a million, let's just say a million dollars. And you have about, how many did I say earlier? 300 of them in a bag. So you have about $300 million worth of precious stones. A man snatched it, and as you're trying to pursue him, the thing fell and fell on a large piece of land around where we are, the size of the place where we are now. Then next thing you know is that but then maybe it was night. Next day you came back, you found that everything had been partitioned. Are you getting my point? For sale. <laughs> and each one fenced. And they partitioned in, into about 50 plots. And they offered it for sale at the cost of one billion naira. That is, if you total it together, it comes to like a billion naira. How much is $300 million as at now? Huh? Okay, now I, I want, okay. Anyway, okay, he said 1.2 So in billion, that's 1,200 billion, right? And they want to sell all of this land for 1 billion. What will you do? You'll buy it. Are you trying to build a house there? You want to start a car wash? You want to start a hotel? Once you buy every plot, you will now lock the main entrance. And what do you start digging? Plot by plot. The lost portion is his diamond. <laughs> do you get my point? You go to each plot. You look for your diamond. You take it. You, have done, you are done with that plot. You can sell it for change. You go to the next one. What do you do? You find your, this thing. When you are finished going to all the plots, you count the diamonds, and then there are 287. How many missing? 13. What do you do? You start again. You will dig up that place, pass it through the mill. What are you looking for? The lost portion. <laughs> you know, say, what is Pastor Banky looking for? They say, the diamond is the lost portion. 
As for the land, it belongs to the people of Enugu. It doesn't care. I don't know whether you're getting my point. My diamonds are the portion of my inheritance. They are so precious to me, I buy all the land. They are so precious that let us assume the billion they asked for, they didn't have it. I will sell everything I have, borrow, go to banks. Why? Because I have precious stones in that segment of land. You see me walking day and night. As soon as I'm done with one section, you know what happens? I dump it. If they say land grabbers have grabbed it, what I will say, that's their problem. I go to the next one. If I finish and they say land grabbers have grabbed it, what happens? That's their problem. What am I saying? You know what God is looking for on the earth? His people. His people. I want to say this to surprise you, but it's a fact. After he has found his own, land grabbers can grab everything. The rest of the people can destroy themselves. I'm sorry to say this. He will not bat an eyelid. The lost portion is what? His people. The lost portion is his people. There's something I want to introduce. Because, you see, sometimes we look at this, all right? And I want us to read, you know, I said something earlier. What is the lost portion? His people, right? But who are his people? There's something I said earlier which I need you to connect. It's very crucial. That first birth is natural. Second birth is voluntary. Bear it in mind. Now, who are the people of God? That's the point I'm coming, getting to. The people of God are the people who have taken the voluntary step, first part, and are continually taking those voluntary steps necessary to remain precious to the Lord. Please note the things I have said. They are important. The first step, because what happens to us a lot of times, our doctrine is faulty, is that we look and say that once you've answered an altar call, you are what? Saved. After that, what? You are always saved. Let me say something to you. Bear it in mind. Don't ever forget it. People can put their hands on a plow and look back, and they are no longer worthy of the kingdom. Whether they are saved or not, I don't know. You can argue that when you get to your house. Right now, listen to me. They are no longer worthy of what? The kingdom. Because the problem we have, the problem God has these days, is that many people put their hands on the plow. They say they, are, they have given their life to Christ. But they don't treat themselves as a lost portion. So you know what Jesus said? I wish you were cold. If you were cold, at least I know we don't know each other yet. I will send and start digging for you. But now that I have found you, instead of you to become hot, what have you done? You have chosen the ways of worldliness. And therefore, you have become lukewarm. So the, my best option is I look at the stone. It's been corroded because it must not the principle of types. Normal diamonds cannot be, but in principle of types, you can assume it can be. It's like salt losing its savour. It's not. I look at it. This was my stone. It's no longer worth anything. What do I do? I throw it back into the earth from which I dug it. And then land grabbers can grab it. Listen to me. Many of the persecutions and troubles Christians suffer in the world today is because they are not treating themselves as the lost special people. I know the question you're going to ask is that, <laughs> how do I treat myself as a lost special people or special person? We'll get down to that. But bear this in mind. That's one thing I need to introduce. Because sometimes we talk about it like this, we just assume that we don't have to do anything. The Lord just finds us and he says we are special. No, what God does is to call people. What God does is to call people. Each person has to qualify himself or herself to become a special allotment of his inheritance. I hope you hear what I said. Yes, sir. 
it's very important. Each person has to qualify himself to become special in the eyes of God. That's one thing, you know, sometimes the gospel of grace we preach is incomplete. Oh. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. He said it clearly, many are called. Few are what? Chosen. But it's a special breed of people, of people that God is looking for. He said they called, they chosen, and what? Let's go by it again so everybody can hear us. Let's start number one. Number two. Number three, the faithful. They are called, they are chosen, they are faithful. Now, every person must pass through that to truly become a pre- Now, listen, at the beginning, we are all potentially something. But once we understand what we potentially are, we will now start striving towards that thing. And the word I use is striving. That's why I said the kingdom of God suffers violence. He said from the days of John the Baptist, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man is doing what? Pressing into it. Pressing into it. Doesn't come to them automatically. Oswald Chamber said something there. I quoted him last time. He said, well, what was going to happen? He said that's what Adam. He said Adam was supposed to, by a process of choice making, let me add my own words, self-denial. The laying down of the flesh. One step after another. What Adam was supposed to do is lay down the old man so he could take on the new. There was a process of development. And that's how, we, let's get back to that, Jeremiah chapter 32. You see, what did God do with, um, with um, Jacob, who was a prophetic sign of God's ultimate agenda, the church? What did he do? He led him about. There was no foreign God with him. God was looking for his inheritance, his allotment amongst the people of the earth. So he found him in the desert land, in the howling waste of a wilderness, he encircled him, he cared for him. He guarded him as a pupil of his eye. I'm in verse 11 now. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, the Lord hovers over its young. He spreads his wings and cut them and carried them on his pinions or his feathers. The Lord alone guided him, and there was no foreign God with him. And the Lord blessed him and all of that. You see later in verse 15, but Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. He said, you are grown fat, thick and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scorned the rock of his salvation. Now we'll get down to that later. But what I want to bring out from here is that, you see, the Lord, he did something. He stirred up his nest what was he doing? Please look up from your Bible. What was he doing? He was training him. He was training him. The principle I had it taught, okay, here, because you notice something here that, let me read that again. As an eagle that stirs up his nest, what does he mean by to stir up his nest? What he's doing is that he's causing the young ones to learn to fly. He rustles their comfort zone, he throws them out of the nest. I hope you're getting my point. And remember, the eagle's nest. It's not on the ground. It's on high mountains. It's on cliffs. <laughs> One day, you know, I just like to adjust some things I've seen. You know, a falcon, close to the eagle in behavior. That's why he builds his nest also. And all these animals have sharp eyes. From great distance, they see sharp, clearly. So one day, the chicks, they, they, 
the mama falcon went to hunt. Another animal you see around that area is serpents. And those ones go from cage, from nest to nest, looking for chicks that are alone or eggs that have not hatched to swallow. So as Mama Falcon was hovering around, from a great distance saw the snake heading for his nest. I know that thing can dive. In a few seconds, she was there. Picked the snake nicely off the cliff and threw it down. <laughs> you know what that means? Snake is dead. The snake is going to land very far down on the rocks and break his back. Now, eagles do something like that for their, uh, for their chicks, I was told. They also kind of knock them out of the nest. You know why? So they will go and exercise their wings. So, the, the, the baby eagle is flying, no, more like falling. And the mother is watching so that this little chick will flap his wings and begin to fly. And when it's getting close to the ground and it has not yet learned to fly, what does she do? She goes below, spreads the wing under, picks the baby up again and flies back to the nest. That's what he was saying here. Look at what he said. He spreads his wings and cuts them. I hope you're getting my point. He said he made you hungry, then he fed you with manna. Are you catching it? He made you hungry, then before things got too bad, he fed you with manna. That's what it means that he spread his wings and cut them. First, he made them come out of the nest. He threw them into, in quote, adversity. Learn to fly. Flap your wings. And he continues to do this until the eagles come of age. And they learn to fly. They learn to use the wings that he has given them. And bring us something here. God didn't find Jacob and keep Jacob like that. What God did for Jacob was to train Jacob into becoming exactly what he ordained him to be. <sighs> I pray we get this. You know what people don't understand? When you preach to Christians that we are children of God, unfortunately we interpret it in a worldly way. I'm a child of a king. I've heard it said before. When a king is coming to town, dispatch riders will go ahead. Ooh. And there's a motorcade following and they make a lot of noise. If you're a son of a king tonight, we have to announce your presence with noise. It's not true. Those are the kings of Gentiles. He will tell you, <laughs> the Gentiles, their rulers lord it over them. But for you, you are going to be the servant of your people. When you want to interpret sonship, you must don't interpret it like bastarding royalty. Do you get my point? In which sonship is a, is, a, is a privilege, not a service position. No, that's a worldly way of interpreting it. When we first learned about the sonship in Christ Jesus, that was what we did. They told us being the child of the king, it means that you wear expensive clothes. So small boys that could only afford, okay, let's use modern day, 700 naira shirt. They'll go and buy 10,000 naira shirt. Why? Because they are the son of a king. They don't understand that as a son of a king, you have to learn prudence. As a son of a king, you have to learn how to prioritize. As a son of the heavenly king, you must learn how to lay down yourself, your life for the brethren. As a son of the heavenly king, you must learn to be wise as serpents, while being harmless as doves. Why do you want to stand out? You have mixed your friends on campus. Why are you wearing an expensive shirt to do what? So these days you see sons of kings who are campus 
pastors who have PAs. I said, these boys want to die young. Now, I like to preach this thing. You go to university. I tell my students, I said, please, don't let them call you mama. This mama thing is not good. You are too young. You are sister. And I'm begging people, stop calling children mama. It's not good for them. You can't be 19 year old, you are mama. When you are, when you are 80, what will you be? No, that's not grandmama, because you have been grandmama at 40. They've sport, they, they, many of our pastors have sports, sports campus fellowships. When we were in school, those days we were students. We wore jeans and t-shirts to fellowship. You know why? You're a student. We wore face caps. Now what do they have? Suits and Jericho. Stupid boys. They're not going anywhere. And they were telling you lying dog that they are sons of a king. No. The son, while he's still young, does not differ from his servant. Stop learning nonsense, arrogant doctrines. People of the flesh, when they hear truth, when they, when they, when they twist it. Son of a king, go and buy a shirt. Seven months later, you are still paying for a shirt. You know I keep on praying prayer. There are certain prayers I pray. If you buy perfume, two months later, you are still paying. May it, may it break. Let it, it will perfume your house once and it's finished. Go smash there are things you don't, you can't be buying small, small. They didn't make it for your type. Not your size. Those who buy perfume, they break it on Jesus one time. Perfume you are going to use for six months. You are, you are, for one, you are, you are paying small, small. This perfume. One way you used to call it Lofinder. Did you ever call it Lofinder? <laughs> That's how we know the small, small boys in this room. Even people they can smile. I've never heard Lofinder before. <laughs> It's not, it's not, look, these are things you buy, you know, you buy, pay once, you just buy, you work out once. You buy a shirt, three months later, they are still calling you. That shirt is not your size. Iron will burn it in Jesus' name. Amen. Buy the one you can pay once. The Lord led him about. Israel, Jacob, was not always comfortable. The Lord led him about. Sometimes he made him hungry, then he fed him with manna. Why? So that he would understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how man lives. One of the things I thought I would be able to teach today is to talk about, because every day we're talking about Jesus can heal, I wanted to talk about the fact that he supplies. And I want, one of the things I was planning to say, but God didn't let me get there, all right, is to let us understand that even though he can supply, one of the first things he has to cure us of is covetousness and worldliness. When he makes you hungry, sometimes he's telling you, learn how to manage. That's what he does sometimes. When the money is small, he says, I can send money, but I want to see what you will do with the little. Let me see how you prioritize in life. Have you seen people that don't have anything, yet they are eating cold stone ice cream? You just see destiny being frozen. <laughs> Supreme is there, they, are, they didn't eat. Far nice is there, they did not eat. And for information, if you are engaged, men, are you listening to me? And the woman you want to marry, or at least you are showing interest in, she knows your level. 
Now say that, come and buy me ice cream now. Now you follow and go more. It's good though. I'm not sure you shouldn't buy ice cream. And you are going to the ice cream place. Now she turned towards that side. Just, just, I, I don't wear my mask. Just go. He <laughs> said, buy one at the gate. And I said, that one is not my size. Let's go. You know, some men will stand there and be smiling. Say, which one do you want? And as he's there, he's checking this not tight. Nonsense. Oh, God, God has given me grace. So. And any man following me, God has given you grace to do what I'm about to say. You will stop and say, hey, say babes, babes, wait, wait. I can't afford that one. Let's go inside here, that big bowl. We'll take it back to your side. Your sister will go chop. Everybody will go chop. I will even follow all of us. I will buy granite with it. That's the topping. <laughs> Hey, hey, ask my wife, if you buy groundnuts, special topping, must you buy those expensive, say almond seed. Almond seed is another glorified egusi. I've, I've ten- <laughs> Tap the girl for shoulder, say, sister, this is not how to enter our destiny. <laughs> I'm not saying expensive ice cream is bad, but just wait till you can afford it. That's what I'm just. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying good shirts are bad. Just wait till you can afford it. The Lord led him about. That's the meaning of it. Sometimes you say God supply my needs. Say I can supply it, but I'm going to deliberately give you small. Let me see how you will handle it. Sometimes God wants to kill pride. That's what I'm going for us to because you must understand that you are God's special possession. Go and read the Bible. The Bible says the bride has made herself ready. The bride of Christ does what? Makes herself ready, knowing that she's the groom's special possession. She learns righteousness. The white garment of the saints is a sign of what? Righteousness. The bride in the Bible is the one that makes herself ready. She adorns herself with the king's gold, with the king's robe of righteousness. That's what I'm trying to say. When they tell us we are, we, are, we, are, we are sons of a king, we think that means that ah, I can live large. No, it means prepare for greatness. Prepare for greatness. There's one movie, I, because some, I don't want to send people going out to watch movies, so I don't tell you the name. My wife doesn't like this movie because so all the people died at the end. You know? <laughs> they didn't ride off on horses into the Sunset, they died. And that's a real movie. Sometimes people die in this life. Do you get my point? I wrote in my book, Great Faith Can Be Yours, that sometimes Isaac will die. If you think that you are kind Isaac out, God give me back Isaac. God says, look at you. <laughs> this one is going to die. Will I raise him up again? Yes, next year. If you think you are coming back home without Isaac, forget that. Thing. Anyway, in that movie, I like one part of it. The guy was going to be king. So at a particular age, they initiate him. You know what they initiate him into? Suffering. Hardship. Mothers cry during the initiation. The boys are not being initiated with, his, with circumcision or with scarification. They are initiated with fights. They will fight older men 
who will beat them silly. They have to learn to defend themselves. They are one of those knights they are sent out in the cold into the jungle where there are wild animals. Survive. When you return, you are a man. Yet, this is the son of a king. The Bible says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. But we see suffering as something that is anathema, which mustn't touch us. I said something before, every suffering is supposed to drive us in search of God. Every difficulty drives us in search of God. Because I understand that I'm the lost portion. I'm precious. So if I'm the midst of suffering, what is he trying to do? He said, my name is Jacob. I want to remove craftiness from you. So I give you to labor. Stay there and work with me. The lost portion is his people. Israel is the allotment of his inheritance. When Israel understands that, like the bride of Christ, he begins to make herself ready. She begins to make herself ready. That's what we are saying. In the furnace of affliction, God purifies his people. So when they find affliction, they say, no, they don't look at it and say, why is this happening to me? They say, no, I must discover Christ in this affliction. Moses was raised in the palace. But for him to become what God created him to be, he had to go and join the slaves. The lost portion is what? His people. The Israel of God is the allotment of his inheritance. That's what I'm going to say. So when God says, this is my people, this is my inheritance, what that means is that he begins to train. And I'm saying the bride makes herself ready. We, we look at ourselves as God's precious possession. Are you getting my point? So I treat myself as such. When we say you are the son of a king in Christianity, we understand what it means. We're not saying, look at the son of a king. I raise my shoulder. Don't talk to me like that. I'm the son of a king. Sorry. I cannot wear this kind of cloth. I'm the son of a king. That's worldly kings that lord it over people. They lord it over their subjects. The son in the kingdom lays down his life for the people. I hope you're getting my point. The son in the kingdom learns obedience from the things that he suffers. Why? Where are we going? Because God said, this is my allotment. This is my inheritance. Has to become exact. That each one of them individually must become exactly like the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're getting my point. That's why I said it last time. I began to explain. Adam was not where God was going. Let's put Adam like this. The flesh do not. That's all. We ride through him into the earth. That's what Adam is. We ride through Adam into the earth. Where God is going is to build each one of us into Christ. From the beginning when he said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Adam did not fulfill that. You know, sometimes I used to say those days, because I mean, I believed it too, that... I mean, people, it was taught to me, and I believed it, that Adam was exactly like God, in the image of God. So I used to wonder, so God has one head with two eyes facing forward. So how does he see the back? Have you ever wondered like that before? One man I ever know, he said, the hand of God means God has a hand, two hands like Adam. And actually, do you know, we actually expect that one this day we will see a God that doesn't have eyes behind he uses his word of knowledge, so he has to turn his head to know 
what is going on behind him. In the image of God, he created him. You now look at it and say, eh, so means God has a, a kidney inside him. So God too goes to the toilet to go and ease himself periodically. Sorry, something is wrong with that picture. I don't know whether you understand me. Something's wrong with that picture. If I tell you this, it will surprise you. It might not. You've heard me say things like that. That Adam was created in the image of the physical Jesus to come. Did you hear what I said? <laughs> the body that you saw was a type, was shaped like that of Jesus to come. The real thing, when God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, the real thing he was talking about was spirit. He said, God is spirit. Is that not what he told us? He made it clear, you can't even make an image of him. He commanded. If human beings were exactly like him, what kind of strange commandment is that? He told them, you didn't see anything on the mountain. If we're all exactly like that physically, all we had to do was put Moses inside a clay mold. We pin him like this. After some time, we open it. Moses come out. We pour copper inside. <laughs> that would be the image of God. I, what I'm saying, I hope it's not too technical for you. I'm trying to emphasize. Do you get my point? That it's not that flesh that is a fulfillment of what God was trying to do. The real image is of Christ Jesus. I hope you're getting my point. When you're describing image, let's read it again, Hebrews chapter 1. That the real image of God that we are discussing is in the book of Hebrews chapter 1. It's not a flesh thing. So you say God has a nose. Do you get my point? One nose pointing in this direction. Two eyes in the front. And they can't can't see his back. He has to turn his head to see what's going on behind him. No. (laughs) No, that's the kind of body God made for us to walk on the earth so we'll be able to fulfill his eternal plan. The real thing is in Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 3. He said, and he's the radiance of what? His glory. That's verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. And what? The exact representation of his nature. That's what God was saying. When Jesus came to the earth, he came as the first you know, is the first of what the Bible calls the second man. And they didn't describe his likeness as in physical form. When they wanted to describe Jesus, this was the description they gave. He said, it's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Paul said, henceforth, we know no man after the flesh. Even if we knew Christ after the flesh, Henceforth, we know him thus no longer. What do we know? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new what? Creature. This is what he is. He is to be the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Let me say this to you and I close with it. No matter what you are going through in life, no matter what, no matter, no matter what, realize is a tool for the achievement of God's purpose. What is God's purpose? The creation. Listen. Don't run away from Laban's house until God says to you it is time. 
Labor's house can be difficult. Don't run away until God says it is time. Please, I beg you, don't go around looking for easy places. Don't go around life looking for easy places. The iron that goes around looking for easy places will never become sharp. I hope you're getting my point. If he wants to be sharp, he has to rub against a hard place. If the iron wants to be sharp, it has to rub against what? A hard place. We can't spend our life looking for what life is easy. You know what happens when you do that? You will never attain the ultimate purpose of God for your life. And that is what many of us are doing these days. Let me add this one to it. You know, I said I was going to close with that, all right? But because I didn't fully, fully develop that, allow me to just use the time I'll have used to finish that one so I can close with it to see something, <laughs> to see something else. And this, this is something I want to say is very crucial. You see, I've closed my Bible, which is a sign that I'm closing. And you're asking yourself, when did you open it anyway? <laughs> the Lord is good. You don't have all the time. That's all I wanted to say. What did I say? We don't have all the time. Something hit me today as I was thinking. Take this message to young people. Very crucial what I'm about to say. Sometimes we think that anytime we like, we can repent. And after we have repented, God will not take us to where we are supposed to be. We will now grow in Christ and become all that God wants us to be. If that thought ever enters your mind and you entertain it, you will never make it. It dawned on me that once God starts calling people, they have a limited time. Yes. Many people will answer the call, but they answer it late. What they don't know is that they have lost crucial time. The destiny of God for their lives, they will never make it to 100%. Please take this message to young people. Tell them you don't start following God after you have settled. Oh God, I pray you are getting my point. The moment conviction comes to you, please follow him. Once he starts calling, the time is counting down. A moment will come, he will cross a line. So he didn't answer me before now, 100% is not your portion anymore. I'm saying this so that people can quickly repent. I hope you're getting my point. And peradventure, you were you thinking like that before. You know what I found out about God? You can go there, collect that time and say, God, please, can we go back and start again? <laughs> It's very crucial. What I'm trying to say is that some people think that, ah, I got away with it. God called me for 10 years. I answered in the 11th year. No. The 10 years was wasted. The point I'm going to make in all of this is this. Listen. Because we understand that we are special to God and there is something that he's trying to do. Let us take the work with God seriously. That's what I want to emphasize. Take it seriously. Understand that if you are going to Please, God, you have to work with him deliberately, hard, on a daily basis. So before you make any decision, go and pray and say, Lord, please, I don't want to do anything that would displease you. Because every displeasure is cutting short our destiny. It's very important, though. When God starts giving us light, it is urgent to respond. Did you hear what I said? Once God starts giving light, response is urgent, is needed. Let's leave it there. Now, I don't know when I say that, I will stop. Let's bow down our heads. I trust the Lord spoke to people today.
Oh, I, I, I trust he did. I trust he did. Let's just give the Lord thanks for his word. When you get home, the Lord will expand these things for each individual.